and welcome to The Current Thing with me, Nick Dixon, where we talk about politics, the culture war, and anything else that might come up. And today we have another very special guest, Mr. Calvin Robinson. And I've just realised I didn't ask you how to introduce you. Do you have a title, Calvin, that I should have used? <laughs> Mr. Calvin Robinson is fine. Some people call me Deacon Calvin. Some people call me Father Calvin. Some people call me Pastor. I honestly don't care. It's just, I'm just Okay. <laughs> I've even heard Reverend Calvin. Are you a, yeah. are you a reverend? Yeah, so it, that's a tricky one because it's, it's that's an honorific. So it's the reverend, just to, just as you say um, the honourable. So you wouldn't say honourable such and such. You'd say the honourable, and it's the same with reverend. But okay, yeah, people use it as a title sometimes. Okay, well, I think I might have just dissed you right off the bat because we had <laughs> Reverend Doctor Jamie Franklin. Or would that be the reverend? I'm confused yes, now. It would but... be it would be the Reverend Doctor Jamie Franklin, but I okay, call well, him like... Father. Ja- I call him Father Jamie. Okay, well, we had him on the show, and so I mean, I've, I've reduced you to Mister, but. Um... <laughs> What is yeah, I'm still a mister. Okay, all good. <laughs> Want to get your pronouns right. Um, so, all right, I thought I'd start with a softball one, Calvin, um, which is just whether you've always been a Christian. I did hear that you, I think you had like moderate Christian parents, but then you've obviously gone a bit more all in, let's say. So when did you decide to become a Christian and an actual deacon rather than a mere follower? Yeah, good question. Uh, I have always been nominally a Christian, but I've always, I was, throughout my uh, childhood, I was kind of loosely Christian, uh, as in we went to church for midnight mass and at Easter, but we didn't really go to church every Sunday. Sometimes I'd go with my grandparents to Sunday school, which sometimes was fun, sometimes wasn't. Um, but it certainly wasn't a weekly thing for me. However, I did pray. I always prayed, and I always felt like my prayers were answered. That was important to me. Uh, so there's a spiritual element going on there. But then throughout my late teens, I certainly remember exploring my faith and I was very critical of organized religion because I, I figured, how can you follow other people? I get having a relationship with God, but how can you follow other people? And now, obviously, looking back, I can, I can understand that because we're all fallen, we're all sinners, and therefore we're all susceptible to sin. Um, so following men leads us astray, which is why we have the church. But I didn't understand the theology behind all this. Um, but in my late teens, I was searching for something without knowing what it was. And I went to a few churches with friends, friends from different um, denominational backgrounds, different traditions, and some I stayed longer than others, and some I enjoyed, some I didn't. But it was just—it's more of a social thing at that point. It didn't really mean anything to me until I encountered Christ in the Eucharist, and this was this was a life-changing moment. It was the first time I went. To, so most of these churches I went to were quite low church, so they didn't really celebrate Holy Communion on a regular basis. But once I went to one that did, that celebrated every Sunday, and the first time I, I experienced the mass um, was my first encounter with the Holy Spirit and I thought this is this is what I need to center my life on this is important it's it's I don't know what it means but I need to learn everything there is to know about it and then I spent the next few years um, reading studying going to catechism classes um, catechesis is so important in our tradition and I think it's often left out and eventually I realized, I discerned that look, I need to center my, center my entire life around this thing. And that means going into ordained ministry and administering the sacraments. What do you mean by your first encounter with the Holy Spirit? That is another good question. <laughs> so it's just, you can't really articulate an encounter with the Holy Spirit, but it, I, it touched me in my heart. My whole presence felt changed. I felt like something, had a door had been unlocked that I didn't realize was even there. And all, all my life I'd been searching for the key without knowing it. And it was, it was, you know, some people talk about Jesus Christ putting their hands, his hand on their shoulder in times of grief and stuff like that. 
it's 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 a it's a recognizing of a presence without being able to see or hear it and and just being filled with with that presence and that that to me was what the eucharist was and makes I suppose good liturgies can do that, but it's just not understanding something, but but appreciating it. Hmm. Interesting. Okay, I thought I talked about having a dream where I saw Jesus and God, but we, we covered that on the Jamie Frank love stuff, so I don't want to bore <laughs> listeners with it again. But um, I, I do know. I mean, and, and Jamie had his own sort of encounters. So it's it's just interesting to hear about different experiences. And um, one obvious difference you might have with with Jamie is that he very much says we shouldn't leave the Church of England. He's like, we can't abandon it to the wolves, as he put it. And I'm guessing you might have a slightly different take on that because you were sort of famously, I don't want to make you talk too much about it because you've probably gone over it a lot, but you were sort of famously pretty much booted out of the Church of England, seemingly for failing to agree that it was racist, which is just absolutely bizarre. Yeah, I mean, irony. yeah, you had, the, <laughs> I know you had, it's so absurd. So Jonathan Baker, who was the Bishop of Fulham, he, he sort of sent an email, I, I believe, saying, that he wanted to have a word about you. And he, and he said he's very active on Twitter and has a huge following. His political gender is, I guess, what you would call libertarian, anti-woke, anti-identity politics. I'm not sure it's libertarian, but okay. COVID skeptical, etc. His tweets get him into trouble sometimes. And there have been complaints to the Bishop of London that he should not be ordained. And then uh, Bishop Wickham, was it? In another email said, Calvin's comments concern me about denying institutional racism in this country, which is such a strange thing. I don't know if this was pre the Sewell report, but the idea that you're not allowed to deny institutional racism, that seems to me that that is their doctrine. And then it led to this absurd situation with you talking to Bishop Malali, where she said to you, as a white woman, I can tell you that the church is institutionally racist. So there's two things. I mean, one is the absurdity of these various middle class white people telling a sort of person of color, like, Calvin, you don't understand, we are racist. And you're going, I don't think you are. No, we are. I mean, that's a completely absurd. And then just the idea that when I read this, I, I hear that institutional racism a belief in that is their doctrine now and that you were kind of going against their doctrine i mean what a bizarre set of circumstances have you anything to say and apply to that yeah you're spot on it is their doctrine now it's, it is bizarre um if they said look you're you, you know you don't believe in the resurrection therefore you can't be part of the church i would have understood but the only heretical view i have is that i don't believe in institutional racism or that this country is systemically racist or the church and i think if it is then we need to address it uh, um, but I, I go against the BLM CRT ideology. I don't think that's a Christian ideology. So it, it was shocking to me that that was the reason they didn't want me um, to be a part of the Diocese of London. But I think Father Jamie is wrong. We are friends, but I think he is absolutely wrong on this. In that, if the church has entered apostasy, you cannot be a, a you cannot be a part of it. The Bible is very clear on stepping away from false teachers and. We have to hold them to account. Absolutely, we have to call them to repent. But you cannot be a part of an organization that has become apostate. If it was just one or two heretical bishops, fine. But it's not. It's the whole institution. Whilst I don't agree in this, with institutional racism, I do see the church as institutionally woke at this point because it's gone to a point where they've said, look, we as an organization are going to allow the blessing of same-sex unions. And they said some of which were sexual in nature. Now, that is what God calls abhorrent in the Bible, as in it's against his order. Therefore, it's heresy. Therefore, the, the, the organization, the governing body of the church is dragging it into apostasy. So I don't know how anyone can stay um, serving in that kind of environment. Hmm. Okay, so you, would, you, so you would very much say we have to leave the Church of England because it's been captured by wokeness. And what should we do? Because you've gone into, I don't fully understand what you're in now. You're in this free church. You're in a sort of a different 
Yeah. How, how would you describe it? I don't get it. So wrong. I'm part of GAFCON. GAFCON um, started in 2008 in North America when the Episcopal Church out there, much like the Church of England, uh, they ordained a bishop who happened to be in a same-sex relationship, out, out, openly gay, practicing gay, and that of course goes against the teachings of the Bible. For for a bishop to be in a relationship like that was was disorderly. So they split. They went under the authority of some African bishops and eventually set up an alternative Episcopal oversight in North America called the ACNA, the Anglican Church in North America. That was like the founding diocese of, of GAFCON. And now GAFCON is all around the world. It's in, it's in um, Australia, it's in Canada. Anywhere where the church has gone woke, which tends to be in the West, um, they're working with the primates of Africa and all, all over the, the Orthodox world um, to kind of maintain Anglicanism under orthodoxy. And what, we, what we've seen is that we're now the majority. So 85% of Anglicans around the world were represented by their primates at the latest GAFCON meeting that I attended uh, last month. So it's just a, a small but vocal minority that have gone woke and captured the churches of the West. And GAFCON is the movement that's saying, look, we're not going to be held by the woke liberals. We're going to actually stick to what the Bible teaches. We're going to stick to the Orthodox Christian faith under the Anglican tradition. And it's very small in the UK because the Church of England has a monopoly, has a kind of chokehold on Anglican, Anglicanism here, rather. Um, but we're at least trying something different. Hmm. Interesting. And, and you were sort of hinted to me before the podcast that America, you sort of prefer it there. Have you found that they're just... The, 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 when it comes to Christianity, they sort of tend to be a lot more bold in their beliefs. Is that is that fair? Absolutely. Uh I was blown away by my recent visit to America in how sound they are, but also how bold they are. So over here, I know a lot of sound people within the Church of England, particularly amongst my bubble in the Anglo-Catholic se sector of the Church of England or corner of the church, but they don't tend to be bold. They tend to keep their heads down, um, bury their heads in the sand quite often because they don't want to be, uh, well, they don't want to stick their head above the parapet and get it chopped off. They just want to focus on their own little corner. And I, I think that's a shame because I don't think that's what we're called to do. I think we're called to be bold. We're called to uh, not only, well, disciple the nations, but also we're called to proclaim the faith from the rooftops. And I don't think that's what we're doing in England at the moment. We're shying away. We're embarrassed about our faith. And I see the Americans are really trying to be bold and brave and courageous. And it, it, it's encouraging. So I'm hoping to bring some of that back here. But I can certainly understand why people want to be in America. Yeah, it'd be interesting to try because we are squeamish about anything American. The recent NatCon conference was an example. Just even in politics, that's come from America. And everyone's like, oh, it's it's too conservative. So in a similar way, Christianity, that people are going to get weird about it here. Yeah. I mean, do you, do you, do you think it's a, there's any use in being a cultural Christian, this term? Because you've actually, you've actually got a quote here, interestingly, semi-related, saying, when church is done properly, it is counter-cultural which may be maybe only related vaguely, but but there's this thing, a lot of people are sort of, even maybe Douglas Murray, there's lots of conservatives that might call themselves cultural Christians. And I was saying to Jamie that there's some good in that. I mean, I grew up in a, in a country called England that was a Christian country and it was very different and it was culturally Christian. So we all were, everyone was a Christian. We didn't think about it. And we went to the church, we sang hymns and all the school was naturally Christian. And even all that is gone as far as I can tell. But do you think there's any value in that? Or is, is that just useless without the spiritual belief? Yeah, I think what we're seeing right now is a spiritual war. The culture wars are a spiritual war. And I don't think people can truly perceive it unless they are faithful. 
I think that being a cultural Christian can only get you so far. You need to take that final leap of faith. And there are many cultural Christians that have helped in this. You've named a few just there, but there are many that have helped in this battle, but they can only help so much. We need conservative Christians, not just conservatives, to uh, to lead the way and to because the way is toward Christ because he is the way and the truth and the life. So we need people to lead people towards him rather than these abstract ideas of what it means to be conservative or what it means to be English because it all, it's all based on, it's all founded on Christian values. Yeah, I mean, my critique of Jordan Peterson, which sounds like a kind of lofty statement, but here's what you get wrong, Doc. My, my critique was that um, the genius of what he'd done was he's en- he introduced a kind of meta ethics, meta Christian ethics. So it, it didn't have the spiritual aspect, but it had the kind of the, the cultural ethical aspect and people were attracted to that. People who would have been repelled by Christianity because they're like, oh, we've heard that. Well, that's what our parents taught us or whatever, or it's evil, or whatever they've been taught by the culture. He was able to appeal to them. But then that was also its greatest flaw, that when he was questioned about, you know, do you believe in Jesus? He'd say something like, well, that depends what you mean by Jesus. And you're like, come on, Jordan, we all know who Jesus is. Yeah. And it was a bit sort of weak in that way. And so I, I, I said, well, you, you've got to have the spiritual part. And I sort of came about it by just deciding to do it originally. And some people have told me that's silly. But but um, I do take your point that without the, the spiritual aspect, there's no real point. And no, it- you're right, by the way, Nick. You are right. You have to decide to have faith. I know so many people who are intellectually Christian. Like they understand the faith. They know the faith. You know, they, they're theologians or they understand the Bible back to front. But they're like, like waiting for something. They're waiting for God to, to give them the faith. And actually, no, it's up to us. He is there already stretching his arm out. We've got to stretch back. We have to decide to have faith in him. And quite often that's how it works. So I think you're spot on in doing that. Oh, good. I'm glad I've had a, a deacon confirm that because I've been <laughs> saying that for a while. Everyone says, oh, you can't just decide that's not genuine. And I was like, well, no, it is, it is because it, yeah, in, in, in lieu of God actually showing up on the street and saying, here I am, here's what to do. It's always going to be up to us. To, and that's what faith is, surely. So I, I think I was, oh, it's good to know that I was right there. Um, well, it doesn't really appeal to people because they, they, they're waiting for this thing. I find that after that, you then certain things happen, like I had that crazy dream and stuff, but mm-hmm. but it tends to be that tends to be the starting point, or it was for me. But yeah, when people are waiting around for this amazing thing, I think that it's a bit idle. Yeah. So glad we agree. And on the on the you know, I'm I'm friends with Jordan Peterson. I think he's a good man. But the the, the problem I see with people like him is that well, there's the Jordan Peterson versus the Andrew Tate situation, right? And men are looking, for, men are searching for something they don't know what, and they, they're attracted to one or the other. And I think Andrew Tate is a brute. I think he's you know he is. If there is such thing as toxic masculinity, he is it. Uh, whereas Jordan Peterson is leading people down a more wholesome path, uh, which is fantastic. However, it becomes the cult of personality, which means that the moment he does or says something wrong, the whole movement can fall. It, it, what it should be is a person like him who's attracting people to masculinity and to, to good, wholesome values should be directing them away from himself towards God, towards something greater than himself. And that's the flaw in, in the Peterson model. Hmm. Very interesting. I was going to save my Tate question for later, but you've kind of you've mentioned him now, so I've got to go with it. So, why are you so against Andrew Tate, and do you do you think he has any positives? Because he's just attracted to commercialism. He is like he, his god is is mammon. He is kind of yeah. Look how many fast cars I have, and look how many girls I've slept with, and it's all empty, shallow, degenerate nonsense. It, it doesn't. It's not stuff that makes people happy, but they see him with it. On, you know, it's the, it's the old. You know, look, it's the old look at um, an Instagram feed and look how great that person's life is. It's fake. It's all fake. And it's the pursuit of happiness that you can never attain rather than actually the pursuit of truth, which is far more 
fulfilling and can provide contentness through the faith. Or even if you're not looking for a faith, surely something more wholesome than than that debauched lifestyle that he's promoting. What do you think to my idea that he's a kind of imperfect general in the culture war? So just as Churchill was or any general you can name throughout history, they tend to be flawed characters. But he's, he's a sort of asset, vaguely on our side, maybe not your side, but I would say on the anti-woke side. He's, he's against the demonization of men. He's uh, against all the woke stuff and he attacks it very fiercely. Of course, he's a flawed person. But we can be too pure, I would argue, and say, oh, because everyone's flawed, right? Yeah, so yeah. where do we draw the line? And we, you know, we, we'll, we'll end up condemning everyone. Isn't he a useful asset in, in that sense? No, I'd say Jordan Peterson's a useful asset. I'd say Andrew Tate is actually working for the other side. I think the way he promotes masculinity as degrading women and even degrading men, degrading oneself, is counter-Christian. I think it might appear to be, and this is how the greatest heresies survive. Like Islam, for example, is the, the longest surviving Christian heresy for a reason, because it takes the truth and twists it. So it's not an outright lie. It's, there's enough truth in there to make, make it attractive. And it's the same with Andrew Tate. He's got enough about masculine uh, values in there to make you think, oh, okay, he's onto something. You know, he's against that work stuff, but it, actually it's a twist of the truth. And that's sometimes worse than a lie because he's leading people astray. He's leading souls astray. He's damning people into sin. Therefore, he is not good. Hmm. Interesting. I'm not, yeah, okay. So not, not very pro-Tate. Um, <laughs> what about... Isn't he, in, in a sense, even... Here's, a, here's another way of putting it. Think about the gender-critical feminists. So I'm on their side when it comes to the trans madness. Of course, men shouldn't be allowed in women's spaces, because, but not because of feminism, really, but because women are physically vulnerable. Of course, children shouldn't be mutilated. If you can't agree on that, you're completely insane and evil. So I agree with them, but I also think feminism is absolutely toxic and evil. So, But isn't it the case that someone like... So I'm I'm aligned somewhat with the with the turfs as they was a pejorative word, but they kind of owned it. So can you not be aligned with Tate in a similar way that I'm aligned with him on this, but he's wrong on this, and you know maybe he needs some guidance on some of, some of these areas. I would say he needs some prayer. I know what you mean. I can I can align with people like Kelly Jean or Posey Parker on on issues of uh, female spaces, whilst not aligning with her on her feminism and people like that. I get what you're saying in that degree, but I think Tate is too far in the other direction. He is leading the souls in the wrong direction, in the wrong way. Um, his, if men follow him, they will become sinners because he's promoting sin, whereas people like Kelly Jean are promoting a flawed ideology in, in, in feminism. I think there's a distinction there that's important. Uh, Kelly J. King. Yeah. Kelly J. King, sorry. Okay, yes. so, all right. Well, that's your take on Tate. I slightly disagree there, but we, we don't do the whole podcast on, on Tate. I've got in loads of trouble. I mean, I've got the most hate for this. I mean, you get hate from all sides, I've noticed as well, but I get, I get the most hate, obviously, from the lefties, but I also get hate from the from the Christian conservatives on my Tate stance. But I'll, I'll definitely think about what you said. But um, so on, back on this um, cultural Christianity type stuff, I was going to ask, we had Lord Frost on the podcast, great episode, good, good man. man, but he said that he called himself a non-practicing believer because he said, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, it basically means he believes in God, but he doesn't really go to the church. So is it crucial that we actually have to go to church? Because I'll just little um, point on this question. Lots of young people particularly have said to me, I'm a Christian, but I don't go to church. And sometimes they cite just the wokeness of the church. Sometimes it's the behavior during lockdowns, masks, and so on. Some people even say in this decentralized world, it's archaic to go to one central meeting point and all this kind of thing. So is it essential to go to the church or can we just be, you know, sort of believe separately? Yes, it is essential to go to church to be a Christian. Absolutely. One cannot be a Christian by oneself. It's not a thing. 
Christ said that when two or three are gathered together, he is there. Uh, he told us to take, eat of his body in remembrance of him. Uh, he said there is no health in us if we do not eat of his body. Therefore, we have to receive communion. Otherwise, we are empty shells. And we ha that's how we receive his grace. And of course, we have to be baptized, uh, preferably in the church too, to, to enter his body, to become part of his body on earth. It's not possible to sit and be a Christian on your on your own at home because we interpret the scriptures through the church. If we interpreted scriptures by ourselves, we'd lead ourselves into error and heresy. So to avoid that, we go through the wisdom of the church, which is inspired through the Holy Spirit. Uh, so we need, we need the tradition as well as the scripture. There are so many reasons we have to go to church, but it's it's our calling as Christians. So I don't think it's, I think it's lazy. I think it's, it's it's an easy thing to say, oh, well, the church is woke. Sure, the church, some churches are woke, but find a church that isn't. Find a good community. Like, our whole society is built on community, and community is what's been attacked. Community, family, and faith are what have been attacked for so long. And if we think that we're against that, then surely we have to be for community, faith, and family. Therefore, we have to have family, start families. We have to have faith, and we have to build community. And they are all done. A lot of them are done through the church, so that's a good thing. Hmm. So we have to... But we do when you talk about Jesus' body, but we don't have to believe in transubstantiation, presumably. No, no, of I course. I'm not sure where you stand on that. No, I believe in the real presence, uh, which is scriptural, but I have no problem with people that believe in transubstantiation, but it's not a requirement to believe in transubstantiation. However, it is a requirement to to receive communion. Okay. Interesting. So, so people just, what, they just have to look around and find a sort of base church that's not too woke or, or what? There are many good priests out there or up and down the country. Um, that don't subscribe to wokeness. They're just, a lot of them are quiet, that's all. Were you incredibly disappointed as I was by the church's response during COVID when they, because I don't believe Jesus would have worn a mask. I mean, and, and I certainly, uh, the church is locking down when people need them. What was all that about? Yeah, I came to believe that uh, wearing a mask is a sign of lack of faith, to be honest, because those who have faith in, in God don't need one. Those who feel the, fear the world more than they fear God were wearing masks. I think if you go to church, you're there to receive Christ's body and Christ's blood. You're there to worship him. Therefore, you should have faith that he will pr protect you in that environment. And actually, for the churches to be closing their doors to the faithful and say, no, you're not allowed in, you're not allowed to pray, you're not allowed to worship with each other, you're not allowed to have communion, you're not allowed to have a community, that was wicked. So the, the fact that the established church went along with or went further than the government proposals is so, so bad. Um, yeah, so so the church has betrayed all the G all the functions that you just outlined yeah, in COVID. So how do we go back to trusting the church? Well, it's like with any institution made up of individuals. Of course, it's going to be fallen because we are fallen. But we have to strive to be better. And we are the church as much as the bishops and the uh, people making decisions. We as the people make up the church. Therefore, we have to hold them to account. Okay. And do you think, um, big question, I'm just going to launch into a big question, but so you talk about in your Oxford Union talk, and we could talk about same-sex marriage, which you would, you did discuss, and obviously that's a big thing, but I'm more interested in this point. That you say the church is imploding, and the faithful masses have stopped turning up on Sundays, and we are seeing the most rapid decline of Christianity in this country that we may have ever seen. Do not accelerate it with heresy. So my big question here is, can Christianity be saved in Britain, or is it basically done? Don't confuse the church with Christianity, uh, and because we've got the big C church, and then we've got the... Uh, institution of the church so the church is christ's body on earth the church of england is a part of that church the church catholic the church universal 
but it is not the church. So the Church of England could crumble and fade away. The Church of England could close tomorrow, but the, ch the Church Big C would still survive. Christ's Church will always survive because he instituted it. Uh, it would just take different expressions. And maybe that means that the Catholic Church rises or the evangelical non-denominational churches rise up to fill the gap left behind by the Church of England or maybe something new that we haven't yet thought of. But there will always be a Christian presence. And I think actually perhaps the Church of England needs to fade away or change because it's not doing its job. Yeah, well, I tend to, I tend to agree with you. When, when Jamie talks and says, don't abandon it to the wolves, I sort of sometimes go, oh, yeah, maybe he's right. But then when you talk, I go, yeah, the church movement's <laughs> over. We've got to leave it. Maybe I'm too easily influenced. But, um, the wolves have captured I, it. It's too late. They have, yeah. I mean, they really have. When, when there's trans flags and when there's oh, institutional racism and, and there's all these things, there's examples every day of it. Oh, the Lord's Prayer, the pronouns should be changed was one thing that someone said in Gloucester, I believe it was, somewhere like that. Absolute insanity. Yeah, it's disgusting. So, but you can see why pe people are obviously put off it, and they're much more. And it's such a tactical mistake because people are attracted to the much more hardcore, you know, Latin mass type things anyway. Because because it, because it, it's respecting its own boundaries. No one can respect a totally watered down institution that doesn't believe in itself, can they? No. And to people that say we can't leave it to the walls, what are they doing to take it back from the walls? Would be my question. The bishops. I mean, there are 116 bishops in the Church of England, or maybe a couple more than that now, and the vast majority of them are woke. Um, pretty much all except for one outwardly voted for uh, remaining in the European Union during Brexit. So there's, there's a good divide between them and the country. Uh, so unless people have some kind of plan to become a bishop and take, take over the Church of England or to take over the Synod somehow, I'm not entirely sure what they mean by we can't leave it to the walls because the walls own it. The walls are there, so they're just playing with the walls right now. I suppose to be fair to Father Jamie, he is in the Church of England doing good work, so perhaps he is walking the walk when he says that. But how, yeah. in what way is he taking over from the wolves? I don't mean to target him in particular, but just to be operating within an institution that is already apostate doesn't make you, doesn't mean you're taking it back in any way because there are many good priests up and down the country. But in, how are they going to capture the church back? If the church comes out and says, look, we are blessing same-sex sin, and then everyone around the country says, oh, so that church has gone woke, that person must also be woke. For them to say, no, I'm not, but I'm still operating within this woke organization. I don't, I'm struggling to see how it helps. Had you been ordained and not cancelled by the Church of England, though, would you have gone into it? And then presumably you would be in that position now. But no, because I would have left. But also I did leave because of this, right? So I, I left because of the wokeness. It wasn't on same-sex same marriage, but it was, on, it was on race. And I couldn't... Oh, I thought you were just kicked out by them, but you're saying you left. Yeah, I wasn't kicked out. I chose to oh. leave the Church of England. Uh, you were kicked out of one specific placement? No, I wasn't kicked out at all. I had an oh. argument with the, with the Bishop of London and she didn't want to ordain me in her diocese, but I could have gone to any other diocese in the country or I could have waited a year and tried again in the Diocese of London. But I said, look, I'm not going to do this. I don't agree with what you're saying. I don't agree with the path we're going down. And I don't want to spend every day of my life in ministry fighting against wokeness when I should be proclaiming the gospel. So I made a bold decision to leave, having nowhere to go, and God provided a path, and I ended up getting ordained elsewhere. But there, my point is there's always a path. What I see around me when I look at pe people who remain in the Church of England is that, yes, the houses are nice. Yes, the beautiful old churches are nice. Yes, you get a salary and stipend. Yes, you're part of, you've got the prestige of being the local parish priest, etc. But these are all worldly things that should, you should be able to step away from them in faith, and God will provide because you're doing the right thing. And if you see that the church that you're working in has become apostate, not just a few heretical bishops, but the whole institution has taken the wrong path, then either you have to have a plan to take it back or you have to leave. I don't see how someone in good conscience can operate within that environment. 
Okay, good answer. Yeah, sorry, I sort of had it slightly wrong about the details, but it's good to get it clarified. So here's one for you. Why do you wear your uniform on GB News? And the reason I ask that, and when I see it, it doesn't bother me at all because I grew up in a country, like I say, called England. It was a Christian country. We had a vicar was sort of ubiquitous in the village. I, don't, I didn't think twice about it. But even people, well, you've had all the haters on Twitter call you a, a cosplaying vicar and so on because of it. And then even people in sort of broadly our side, let's say the anti-woke side, they even say this bit weird that you're wearing it, the sort of more liberals. They say it's strange that you're wearing it and that's not helpful. What do you say to that? I would say they're wet. There are so many wets all over the place. It's a problem. Um, when you are ordained, you wear a collar as a sign of witness to say, I am a servant of Christ. This is, this is my vocation. It's not a job. It's, it's the way, a way of life and it's something you've committed your life to. Um, so I think clergy should always be wearing their, their collar when, as soon as you leave the house, you should have your collar on. Um, it should be it's a sign of your commitment to your vocation, but it's also a sign of witness to tell people you are there for them if they need you. And it's also a reminder of Christ. I've had so many instances where people have said to me, you know, thank you for being just being present and reminding me that Jesus is with me in my suffering, just from wearing the collar. Um, people who, I mean, it used to be a given that pe- people who are ordained wear a collar. And in my tradition, in the Anglo-Catholic tradition, most clergy would wear their cassock, so not just a black suit, but the whole, the full robe out and about. When I'm priested, I probably will wear my cassock as my daily wear, but usually these days I wear a um, clerical suit, which is the black suit and a, and a collar. Um, but people feel uncomfortable, and I find that fascinating. Certain people feel uncomfortable. Many people are encouraged by it. Many people uh, find it helpful. But some people, who I call wets, feel uncomfortable. And I think we have to delve into that because I haven't really, I haven't really considered it. But I think it's like when a Muslim sees a cross, right? And Muslims hate the cross, and they don't want to see it around them. They want to tear it down out of public life because it, it's offensive to them. And it's it's like people on the woke side hate the truth. Like they don't want to debate us. They want to shut us down because they are afraid of the truth. And so people who don't like the collar, I would say there's something in that that we need to figure out what is it they dislike about it. Is it the reminder of Christ? Is it the reminder of traditional values? What exactly is it that they find uncomfortable about someone wearing a cross? What does it say about them rather than what does it say about me wearing it? Because it's always these things are always projection. Yeah, I find it really strange because I didn't think twice about it. I was like, yeah, he's, he's a sort of vicar wearing a, what they wear. You know, broadly speaking, you know, I always get the terms wrong. But that I was like, yeah. that's what I saw it as. But, but the, but the sort of yeah, the Twitter people, they saw it as some sort of affront because we we are a normally Christian country. I was like, well, is it good? It's a Christian in a Christian country wearing a Christian. I didn't really get it. But they saw it as performative. They think you're somehow. I think they, they assume there's something disingenuous about you and you're in some way performing this role yeah. as vicar and, and they're sort of clubbing them over the head with it or something. Right. So, I, I mean, they're welcome to come to my church on Sunday and tell me it's performative after I've preached to them. But there's a, there's a, there's a condescension there that I used to find quite racist uh, from the other side in that whenever I spoke about my conservative values, it was always assumed that it was performative. Be- before I was ordained, um, how can a black man have these views? Or you're not you're you're paid to have these views, or who's giving you these views? Or and then when I started at GB News, it's like, oh, you're, you're shilling for the GB News line, and before that, was sh- you're shilling for the conservative line. I said, actually, no, I believe in what I'm saying. I say things because I believe them. No one tells me what to believe. No one pays me to believe anything. No one pays me to say anything. Actually, I have to fight to say some of the things that I believe sometimes because people who pay me would rather I didn't. And I find it very condescending that people cannot appreciate that I have my views. And what is it about me 
that means I'm not allowed these views. And quite often it came down to my race. And now it's down to my religion. And people assume that what the things that I'm saying or I'm being disingenuous in them. This is my faith. I'm trying to be as true to my faith as possible. I'm trying to be biblically true, stick to the scriptures and be a, trying to be a good Christian. And if people find that uncomfortable, that I think that says something about their lives and their values. Uh, and they're missing out on, on some truth, faith and beauty. Um, but that's the people, that's the people on the other side. That's the people attacking you know, the, the idiots on Twitter. Who, and the ones who say cosplay priest, I don't genuinely don't understand it because priests wear certain garbs. Therefore, are they saying that they don't believe that I'm actually ordained? I'm not a priest, I'm a deacon. But what do they, I mean, do they want to see the certificate? Certificate? Do they want to see the recorded footage? Because it was the first ordination to be recorded in this country, as far as I know, and broadcast on national media. Um, do they want to turn up to the church? I think it's just an easy attack line for people that don't particularly like me. And as far as I'm concerned, it's a lame attack because it's not true. So they can keep saying it as much as they like. But there are there are worse things that people on our side have been called than cosplay. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm called many of them every day. Um, uh, I got called a c-word just yesterday for saying that. Um, that people should shouldn't be able to doctors shouldn't be removing people's testicles, uh, and that that would call, I was a sanctimonious c word. I'm like really because I think that people shouldn't have a 22 minute phone call. It was Matt Walsh's thing about a 22 minute phone call, and you can you can remove your you know what. And I was like, that's that's unbelievable. That's horrific. A doctor shouldn't take your arm off just because you yeah. you know those weird people that say those people have that strange problem where they say I feel like I don't shouldn't have my arm. We don't lop it off. There's certain things we don't that's do. Awful. Now that's sanctimonious. So yeah, no, it's madness. I mean, I certainly wouldn't think you're someone who takes views because you're a shill. I'd say like the opposite. You take a lot of controversial views that must be your real views because why else would you get yourself in so much trouble? But um, I think it's a little bit like that not a real Christian argument from the woke left, from the people that hate Christians. They use that sometimes against us to say, doesn't seem very Christian to me. It's like, well, you hate Christians, so what are you even yeah. talking about? You're just using something you don't believe in. It's disingenuous appeal to a morality that you don't recognize to try and score yeah. points. So I think that's where the cosplay vicar comes in. But but um, here's one that's more controversial for you. What about this sort of optics of, uh, of, of fighting this so-called culture war? For example, you and your friends with Lawrence Fox, and I'd say you two are probably the most sort of I don't know gung-ho might be the wrong word but you go in hard on Twitter and things like that and sometimes you do things and people are like oh why have, why have they said that even on so-called our side more so with Lawrence than you but I'll give you an example when you um changed your banner pick to uh, Enoch Powell was one of them because there's a case to be made for Enoch Powell where you say okay this guy spoke 13 languages he believed certain Indian cultures were superior he was a genius, you know, he was praised by everyone from Tony Benn, big lefty, who said they were friends, to Tony Blair, who praised him. So you go, okay, a, and he was actually, he underestimated immigration, one could say. But in this culture, in this country, Enoch Powell is sort of synonymous with like evil racism. But so we know how he's sort of perceived. Now you're on a channel that gets unfairly called a right wing channel, all this, but it's deep news of anything is a liberal channel with an incredible range yeah. of views. And really, it's just an Ofcom regulated news channel. But when you do things like that, what do you say to the argument that you kind of give easy wins to the other side by, by doing so something I have, like that? I have zero time for the wets. The people who complain to me, but the people within our organization, I have no time for them. I think they're absolutely wets because they never stand up. They're afraid to stand up. They'll go so far, these reasonable conservatives. Everyone who took issue with my Enoch Powell um, thing is, who, is a person I would consider a wet and have no time for because they didn't read it. And my, my bosses, fair play to them, back to my corner said, have you read Calvin's article? And they're like, no, 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 but he shouldn't be mentioning your pulp. Like, why? What, what is it about those words? He's not flipping Voldemort, for goodness sake, right? He's a British politician who had a serious career in, in this country, uh, 
renowned for many things, but his name has been put in this black ball corner of you must not say his name anymore because that makes you a racist. Well, A, I'm not a racist. B, I'm a person who comes from a family of recent immigrants. I happen to be mixed race. I wanted to talk about immigration. I wanted, I didn't, it wasn't a conversation around race. It was a conversation around immigration. And I think Enoch Powell was right on many things. And I pointed out why. I pasted his speech. I broke it down. I put what I agreed with, what I didn't agree with. And I thought it was quite a comprehensive arg argument to be made. I thought it was an important one to be made. I thought it was relevant. I'm not going to avoid this chap who I think had some really good work to, to be discussed just because some people on the left think he's racist. And if people on our side think, oh, you can't mention his name because people on the, who are, are our enemies will think an easy, it's an easy win, then they're, they're appeasing to people that we're never going to win over anyway. They are utter wet. They're moist. They need to grow up. They need to get braver, bolder, have some strong opinions and stop capitulating to the woke mob because they are the reason we're in this state in the first place. They are the ones that keep ceding ground to the woke lot in order to not offend them. Like, no, let's be conservatives. All right, very bold. Well, I'm tired know, of them, Nick. Very clear. I'm tired of them. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. I can see that. But I think there may be an in-between point where where one can be very strong in in one's beliefs, but 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 appeal appeal in a sort of tactical just to make the argument appeal. In, I mean, I'm on a podcast with Toby Young, right, where I'm always right. way more. Whoever has that argument with him recently, yeah, we can still get on. This is the whole point. Oh yeah. Um, we can't tread on eggshells around the woke. You know, I used the word heathen in one of my shows as I was asking a question about the Prime Minister. Now, I wasn't making a statement. It wasn't a monologue. I, was like, I wasn't like, he is a heathen. I was like, is it appropriate for a heathen to be reading from the scriptures in a, church, in a Christian church service? I thought that was a genuine, important question to be asking because the Roman Catholics would have said, no, it's illegal. You can't do it. Right, and a heathen is uh, a polytheist who's not Christian, which is what the prime minister happens to be. Is the correct word for him? Now, some people thought that was derogatory because it's a word that hasn't been used very often in in modernity. I happen to use it quite often because I'm a traditionalist. I use the Book of Common Prayer. It's in our prayer book. It's in the established prayer book for the Church of England, the official liturgy of the Church of England. So I use it quite regularly. To me, I wasn't making a point. I genuinely wasn't trying to cause offence. But we can't. Tr we can't. Be embarrassed or ashamed of causing offence. If people want to take offence, that's on them. Uh, you know, I wasn't trying to cause it. However, the, the issue was people at our workplace. Again, how, you can't use the word heathen. Like, why? What does it mean? I, I, I don't know. Well, don't come and tell me. I can't use a word if you don't know what the word means. Get out, honestly. Wet. You're using it in a, in a technical sense, yeah. and they think you're using it as just a sort of derogatory. Yeah. Sometimes we say heathens in a sort of funny way in a culture. Someone doesn't like your football team or something. But yeah, it's. Uh, that's funny. Yeah, heathen. I can see why they didn't like that. Yeah, I suppose the whole argument, Calvin, is just that if you're trying to persuade, let's say, someone who hates, who realizes wokeness is wrong, but doesn't, it's kind of like, oh, I don't know what to do. And then they, you're not going to appeal to that person. You're not going to win hearts and minds, I guess the phrase goes, just to give the argument, you know, by going full heathen, fully not power, you know, it's like you alienate the sort of moderate and you make our side look bad or something like that. That's the take, isn't it? But I guess you've, you've pretty much answered that. Probably enough. I can see where you stand on that. Although things like Lawrence Fox posting that, you know, he posted that the trans flag made into a mm. swastika. Now I look at it and go, yeah, he's making a satirical point. This is the new orthodoxy. This is the new fascism in a sense. And it's a satirical point. I understood it immediately, but he was like attacked for that. What do you think to something I, like that? To I agree with you. I think he was making a clear point that these are the new fascists and you cannot stand up against the trans movement because they are the ones with all the power right now. Uh, it's quite a clear statement, a bold statement to be made. I don't think it makes him a Nazi. I think it's the opposite point that he was making. And people who want to say it makes him a Nazi are being very lazy and disingenuous in their arguments. I think there are other ways of making the argument. Sure, but he's one of the he's one of the bold people. I think these our side needs all sorts, right? There is a, a, a there is a place 
for the more reasonable conservative who wants to win over hearts and minds. I'm not here to win over hearts and minds, not at all. I think we have a silent majority in this country who have been stumped all over. I'm here to encourage them. I'm here to encourage the people who are already on our side. I'm not here to be an appeaser and to be soft and to, to get people on board. If people want to jump on board, fine. If they don't, that's their business. You know, the, the ship is sinking. Yeah, and that leads to quite a big question I often ask, which is, how do we win this so-called culture war? Can it be won? Is it a war? How do you see it? It is a culture war, but it's also, as I said at the start, it's a spiritual war. We are up against princes and principalities. We need to be strong. We need to be faithful. It may be that the West is already lost. We may have to come around to understanding that and mourning that, but then moving forward. As long as we maintain our faith, we can build something better in, in, in its wake. We've seen many civilizations rise and fall. There's nothing special or unique about the West as it stands today. It seems to be on a downward trajectory, I think, since probably World War One, to be honest with you, uh, which pre-World pre War One seems to have been the peak of, of Britain, at least. We have been going downhill in many, many social ways, and that's a shame to see. It's, it does feel like the fall of Rome. It does feel like that debauched, degenerate period of over-entitlement and, and just sadness really that we're going through but once we get through that we can build something better interesting or it could be the weimar republic of decadence then it could be about to go very another way but i mean you talk about yeah 19, world war one that's interesting probably giving women the vote was the, the thing. <laughs> <laughs> i might oh dear might, might cut that um, a bit of bands guys um, so just to light lighten the mood i dare you um, to leave that in I'll, I'll leave it. I say it all the time. I say stuff all the time. I mean, the, the people forget that they also gave men the vote. So, you know, working class yeah. men under 30 who didn't own property couldn't vote either. So, yeah. you know, it's a big debate to be had. Maybe we should just go back to the elites just having the vote. <laughs> no, but um, then there'd be less, uh, there'd be less ridiculous. Sometimes it feels but, um, like it is just the elite that has the vote, to be honest. Yeah, that's the problem. But it's the elite that has to be representative, you see. If they went back to just the old elite. Anyway, we can't get into that. It's too much of a distraction. But so... What about though? There are little cracks, aren't there, on the on the woke side? Like Pride seems to be going down very badly this year. So, you know, the, the British Library posted a trans fish that they then had to delete, and it wasn't really a trans fish. It was a fish that can actually change sex, but can only be one at a time. That's my understanding. And then Oxfam posted this horrific advert attacking turfs and and things like that, and, and it went so badly they deleted, they took that part out of the advert. Small wins, but it's like. It just seems, I'm just getting a hint now that people are so sick of it. And because they've recognized it's nothing to do with being gay. It's all to do with imposing this weird ideology that wants to sort of damage your children and so on. What do you yeah, think? Yeah, maybe. I mean, at the same time, we're seeing it emboldened. We're seeing schools with all the teachers dressed up in pride colors, welcoming kids in with pride flags everywhere and making a big celebration, which I would call indoctrination, really. And I think if, if, uh, if I did that in a school, but cr put the cross everywhere and made everyone dress up as a as a saint and, and welcomed everyone in, people would be like, whoa, wait a minute, I didn't subscribe to that. I thought this was a secular school. That's indoctrination. Well, it's exactly the same thing in the trans movement that we're seeing. So I, th I think it's actually getting bigger. There are a few, thing a few um, moments of pushback, uh, small wins, which, of course, we should celebrate. That's great, but I'm not sure. I'm not entirely convinced it's going anywhere. Pride Day became a month. It feels like at the moment it's Pride Year. Yeah, I'm proposing a shame month in July. <laughs> we, just, we purge all the shame of the disgusting things in the culture. Love it. Um, it might it might take off. Um, and what about? I, mean, I think you've been asked this before, but I've been asking a few people. 
Which is where do you think wokeness comes from? Because there are some people I've been following who say it comes from certain laws. Some people blame the Equalities Act 2010. Some people blame French postmodernist thought like Derrida. I've had all sorts of answers. And what do you think? I think it's the Puritan movement. I think it's the evolution of the Puritans that we sent over to America in exile. and They've come back, <laughs> which is why this always happens to start in America. Uh, um, so on the one hand, it is, it is the new Puritans and it feels very puritanical. And on the other hand, it is, of course, elements of the Frankfurt School who sat around as a bunch of Marxists and said, how can we infiltrate Western society and tear it down? What do we need to destroy? Well, we need to destroy the family. Uh, we need to destroy masculinity. So let's, and we need to destroy the faith. So they've, they've pretty much done with Christianity. They're pretty much done with the family. Fatherlessness at all-time highs. Marriages at all-time lows. Abortions at all-time highs. Uh, so family faith. Uh, freedom is pretty much gone, you know, we saw that during lockdown that people actually aren't too interested in freedom when it comes when push comes to shove. Uh, so yeah, Puritans and Marxists is what the work movement is. Wow, neo neo Marxist postmodern. Um, <laughs> something came into my head. Um, Why do you keep doing so, Kermit the Frog impressions? Uh, sorry, yeah, I guess it's become a habit. Um, so, and here's a big question I often ask: Is Britain finished? I did write an article called "England is Lost Forever," and I was feeling pretty pretty bleak at the moment. Now, people have different answers on this podcast, and sometimes I think it's tied to whether they own a house or not, but but um, people, a lot of people are very, very pessimistic. Even normies who are not in the culture war are quite pessimistic. What do you think to the country as a whole? Are we, is it done? Is the country done? <laughs> <laughs> I suppose you just said the whole West was in decline did, yeah. since, since uh, World War I. Yeah, so I think the are. West is done, and Britain is a part of that. <sighs> All it would take is one strong king. They said, actually, you know what? Forget this work. I want to rebuild the empire. I want to retake Constantinople. Let's get the Hagia Sophia back. Let's, let's push Christianity back across, across Europe. And remember, that's what we were founded upon. Um, and, you know, make it illegal to be indoctrinating kids towards trans ideology and all this. We need a strong king is what we need. Otherwise, yeah, we're done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolute monarch. I've said that. We need to go back to absolute monarchy. Yeah. You know, I always think that it's a, it's a, it's a coin toss because you get like a bad one, you get like a woke, like maybe Charles really into the environment. You also get Queen Elizabeth II, though, who would have been way more based if she had been an absolute monarch. Yeah, I agree. That's funny. I thought I was going to sort of tone you down a bit on this podcast, but I've been <laughs> arguably worse. Um, one thing I really like that you do, though, Calvin, is you, you don't fall for things like diversity quotas. You very strongly said quite early on GB News, you said, well, it's wrong to have any diversity quotas. And even like as a mixed race person on the channel, you were saying it should never be based on that because yeah. we've ceded so much ground. You know, it used to be just merit, yeah. the best person. Yeah. But now it's assumed, even on something like GB News, virtually everywhere, that it's diversity quotas are a good yeah. thing. So it's quite bold that you said that. Any thought yeah, on I mean, that? I said it on air. I mean, look at any panel. There'll be a white person, a black person. I, you, I, I don't think you'll find a single show on our network that doesn't have both a man and a woman as, a, as the bare minimum. Everything has to Headliners. Happen. We often have three men on the Hey! <laughs> but the, the point is, it shouldn't be a consideration. It should be... You know, when I'm picking guests for, for my show, I want, to, I want the best possible guest for that segment. And I don't want to have to think, oh, does it have to be a woman for this one? Does it have to be a black man for this one? It's like it's stupid, superficial diversity nonsense. And I'm not saying GB News is bad for this. I'm just saying it's an example that it's everywhere now. And we need to move past it because we are more than our immutable characteristics. Yeah, and we've really fallen for that kind of woke. It's sort of a Mott and Bailey thing, isn't it? They sort of that's one they've managed to get through, which was never there before. We, we will take it as normal now. Um, I've got you've only got like eight minutes, but I've got so many questions I want to ask you. What about? Um, I've got stuff about politics, but I've also got stuff about. You mentioned Tate earlier. Do you think there's? 
how how can people live a kind of trad con life? So I see the sort of I see the there's the woke side, which is degeneracy. There's still a lot of normies just getting married who are people I know in my football team. Oh, that's and stuff. good. But yeah, yeah, they, they, we forget. Sometimes you're so in this culture, we forget that actually there's lots of normal people just married. They are remainers and they they have fallen for some of the woke stuff. But they are sort of normal. But I sort of look at the internet and I go, it seems to be two major things emerging in, in sort of rebellion against the prevailing culture, which are the sort of tradcon movement and the kind of red pill movement. But but do you ever, you probably, you obviously would, would espouse a sort of traditional marriage and so on like this, but do you look at that and say, how can that be done in this culture? When people have looked at the existence of no-fault divorce, they've looked at the fact that marriage is barely a thing anymore, you know, because people, are, if you can leave it at any time, it's not really a marriage. And their response is sort of this sort of more cynical, so-called red pill approach of, well, let's just date as many people as we can and get what we want from it. How, how, how can people really live a sort of traditional life now in this culture? Yeah, the red pill reaction is, is problematic because it, it, it says this isn't working, therefore we're going to go in the complete opposite direction. It's like, no, we need to go back to the, to the basic Christian principles. Um, no sex before marriage, no contraception within marriage. Uh, these are bold statements that people will think, oh my gosh, how, how crazy is that man? But these are norm these were norms until five minutes ago and the moment we disregarded them our whole society imploded uh we need to teach people that that sex is something that happens within marriage and we need to stop we need to take sex education out of schools we need to get rid of it's going further and further down for it used to be a 16 year olds or whatever now it's five year olds so we need to get rid of that we need to stop pushing sexuality everywhere around uh billboards TV adverts, nudity everywhere, pornography is pretty, softcore pornography is everywhere, but even hardcore pornography, everyone has access to it at their fingertips now. We need to, we need to cut down all, all of that degeneracy and we need to go back to courting, go back to arranged marriages even, of, of not, not, not forced marriages, but you know, parents and families coming together saying this will be a good match and helping people, helping people start families and seeing them through the whole process so that so we end up with fewer divorces because people after a few years think actually this isn't what I thought it was going to be or I'm not as happy as I thought I was going to be, maybe there's something better out there. It's like, no, you've made a commitment for life between the two of you and God and possibly your children, therefore it's something to work through. Um, so conservatives need to actually live conservative lives rather than just talking about them and or rather than going in the opposite direction. I was wondering, how can Calvin get any more base than then you went arranged marriage? <laughs> I was like, I've never heard that before. On, you know, in the sort of Christian world, I've obviously heard no sex before marriage, etc. But arranged marriage from the parents' guidance, that is one you don't hear about that in the outside of sort of, you know, the, I don't know, sort of a, the Asian world, do you really? No, and I think if people actually went to church, right, and you get introduced to someone at church, so not necessarily an arranged marriage, but just, you know, a recommendation, yeah, then you're also accountable. So you're less likely to sleep around or you're less likely to muck around or, or hurt people because you're not just accountable to each other, but to the communities that recommended you to each other. And I think this, all of that is lacking. It's just this hookup culture where people are lonely and isolated and just and, and trying to fill a void that cannot be filled with sex. Okay, just because you haven't got much time, I might just radically switch to a different topic, which is um, you're sort of, I don't know if you're involved in the Reclaim Party, but you, you have stood as a candidate for very, you stood as a Conservative before, I think you stood as a Brexit Party candidate and then stood down <laughs> when they were standing candidates down. I'm just wondering, yeah. so one, we, I talked to Lord Frost about whether the Conservative Party was finished. Obviously, it's a big yeah. question for him, and uh, he, he says no, of course. But do you think the Conservative Party is finished, and do you think there's much hope for these other parties like Reclaim or Reform? How can they make an impact? 
Yeah, I mean, I helped Laurent get set up with with Reclaim. Um, I've, I've been friends with with Richard in Reform for a long time. Obviously, I did stand for the Brexit Party, but mostly I've been a Conservative, uh, Big C. Uh, I don't think the smaller parties have much of a chance, really, at all, unless they get together. And I did. I brought them all together on my show once uh, with, with high hope, and it's something I worked towards for a couple of years. But I don't actually think it's possible at this point. There are too many variables there let's say um but unless they do they don't have a chance whereas the conservatives they're not destroyed they're going to enter hiatus i think they'll get wiped out in the next election rightly so because they've had 13 years which will be 14 years by next year they're pretty much doing nothing and your most conservative mp is what are you most uh, proud of what's your biggest accomplishment they'll say same-sex marriage or gay marriage or whatever like that's well that's a liberal policy you might be proud of it but it's not a conservative policy they haven't done anything other than brexit and i would say that's mostly down to nigel farage actually so yeah they just they deserve to be destroyed they won't be destroyed they'll be wiped out at the next election they'll get time to rebuild but that is the key hopefully they'll rebuild with conservative principles get rid of horrible disgusting people like matt hancock who don't value our freedoms but also don't value conservative principles get rid of people like that and push forward people like Kemi Badenoch, Miriam Cates, um, Jacob Rees-Mogg, uh, Danny Kruger, people who actually hold to conservative principles, put them in the in the forefront of the party. Then they've got a chance. Just because you mentioned Mogg very briefly, what do you think to Christians in politics? I mean, Richard Tice on this podcast kind of suggested Christianity in politics should be kind of separate. And we've seen Tim Farron obviously had to go because he, he they, they got him on like, oh, what do you think about gay marriage and gay sex? And he kind of floundered and you know, they claim, yeah. you know, and, and he had to leave the Liberal Democrats or the leadership. I mean, and then Mogg has sort of yeah. been like, you know, quite clearly pro-life in his statement to Jacob Rees-Mogg. But, but he sort of also says this won't impact policy. And Kate Forbes yeah. and the SNP has said a similar thing. Steve Baker's a Christian, but he doesn't seem to bring it in too much to policy. What do you take on that? Should Christianity be part of politics? <clears throat> Don't get me started on Steve Baker. But to Jacob, I, I said this to his face. I'm not being two-faced. He, he sh- it should influence his policy decisions. It should. His his faith should influence everything about his life, especially his politics. That that's his one, uh, that's his major weakness at the moment. But I think if he was surrounded by other conservatives who are also faithful, that might help. I think he's a very good man. Okay, well, because you've got to go. Thanks so much for doing the show. Where can people find you? Um, CalvinRobinson.com and on all the social media networks, just at Calvin Robinson. You managed to get. And oh, of course, GB News on Saturdays. So Saturdays, <laughs> are you at seven? Is it? Yeah, 7pm. 7pm on Saturdays. Was it the Common Sense Crusade, I believe the name is? Yes, after the prophet himself, Neil Oliver, and just before the woke liberals get there, Saturday Five Live or whatever it is. <laughs> and then stay stay tuned for headliners at 11pm when it gets based yeah. again. Um, well, <laughs> sometimes it does. All right, thanks for doing the show, mate. No problem. God bless you. God bless. All right, that was Calvin. Good episode again, I thought. Not quite as epic in length as some of our episodes because he had to go, but very interesting. The time flew by for me, which is usually a sign that it's interesting. Hope you thought the same. He's very forthright in his opinions, but I think he makes his case really well. If you are watching on YouTube, hit subscribe. If you're listening, give us a five-star review. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast. And please tell a friend so they can support the current thing. We'll see you next week. <laughs>